Namaskar and welcome to Weekly Global Insights, episode 325. A shout out to our viewers to like this program so it can reach its maximum potential. Today is Wednesday, the 23rd of March, and here are the main points. Russia, Ukraine, Europe developments. According to Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, Russia is no longer desiring the ouster of Zelensky, but it wants full demilitarization of Ukraine, accept Crimea and Donbass and other regions annexed as part of Russian Federation, and Ukraine now is no longer interested in joining NATO. All these are Bennett's views and possibly not acceptable. But what is important is that we can see that the lines are being drawn on the ground as Ukraine is trying to now claw back some of the lost territory, especially in the Mariupol region. Russia is yet to confirm the same and uh, especially demilitarizing Ukraine. French Macron, French President Macron also speaks with Putin and Zelensky. So a lot of conversations going on and, and we are going to have at 9 p.m. a look at this whole thing from a Chinese viewpoint and that is going to be by Elmer Yuan. It's got a lot of information that you perhaps have not got elsewhere. Siddharji, Namaskar. Welcome to P Guru's channel, sir. And what do you make of the statements from Naftali Bennett? He's after all your very good friend, sir. <laughs> Naftali is doing his best. He doesn't want to see destruction of Ukraine. Uh, he's here along with uh, Emmanuel uh, Macron and uh, uh, German Chancellor, Mr. Scholz. Uh, they are the people who are uh, having constant uh, discussions between the, uh, between the Ukrainian side, Zelensky and Vladimir Putin. Uh, it seems like there seems to some kind of convergence is happening and there is narrowing down of the entrenched positions. But it's very clear Russia and, and Ukraine are still far apart in terms of resolution. Crimea is not going to be given away. Donbass region is not going to be given away. Uh, some of the areas around the northeastern side, which we discussed yesterday, uh, last show, is not going to be given away. I think NATO membership is going to be, uh, is, anyway, NATO is not going to give membership to Ukraine. And therefore, I think uh, eventually Ukraine may concede. The question, therefore, is, uh, so I think Russia has also made a concession, which is to say we are not interested in the ouster and appointing a dummy administration. So I think we are beginning to see the first signs of a concession, whether it actually translates into an, any outcome, time only can tell, uh, Sriji. And Kremlin would use nukes only if the existence of Russia is threatened. Russian ex-president Medvedev criticizes Poland's role to be the peacekeeping force. Uh, Poland is at the brunt of the refugee crisis now. And now they are also trying to put together a NATO peacekeeping force, Sridharji? No, they are not putting together a NATO peacekeeping force. We covered this last time. Russia, uh, uh, sorry, Poland has volunteered. <laughs> Uh, to be an independent peacekeeping force, uh, creating a buffer between the Russians and the Ukrainians. Uh, as you correctly pointed out, they are receiving the bulk of the refugees. The refugee number has crossed 3.2 million. Uh, if you recall, United Nations have predicted you know, close to 4 million. So they're facing the brunt of it. Uh, so they're ready to come forward. Obviously, the Russian side do not want to have any bar out. Biden and NATO to spell clear plans on Ukraine situation at the Thursday meetings in Brussels. NATO also contemplates warning China if it comes to the rescue of Russia or supports it in its war efforts. Small countries led by Lithuania demand 
more action, including assistance to Ukraine, Europe to consider establishing Ukraine Reconstruction Fund. All this is good, Sridharji. Uh, what do you expect out of this meeting where Biden is going to be present in person along with perhaps G7 leaders? I don't think anything, sir. I think Biden is just, this is U.S. media, which is pro-Biden trying to make a case. Uh, there's general lot of information that is coming out of Europe is they are constructing their own plan. Uh, it'll be interesting to see he's going to announce additional sanctions. Uh, additional sanctions uh, includes uh, adding more banks and adding more oligarchs to the list and adding some of the close members of the uh, Putin uh, inner network but none of it would have uh, any impact uh, because the oil imports and gas imports uh, into Europe continues as we speak, and that has not been halted. So I think what uh, Europe is not in a position or uh, not yet ready to do it, uh, do the uh, do the halting of the uh, the energy imports from Russia. So it remains to be seen as to what uh, actions that will come out and whether there will be convergence between United States and rest of the NATO members. What is very clear is the smaller nations within NATO, as you pointed out, like Lithuania, uh, are uh, coming forward with uh, asking uh, NATO to do more deterrence measures and more supportive measures of Ukraine. And as far as EU is concerned, they are doing two things. One, they want to make sure that the Ukraine is preserved as an independent nation. And the fact that they have created an independent reserve fund for the reconstruction of Ukraine reflects that sentiment, which is namely they preserve, they prefer an independent Ukraine, uh, which will be supported by Europe rather than anything else. That's what is going to come out, Sriji. Is Pentagon to help Ukraine document war crimes against Russia and can Putin be prosecuted? Russian bombing of Ukrainian cities considered compared to Nazi war crimes. Sridharji, this is where things start getting a little murky in the sense that it's a high said, he said versus she said. Um, so you have two divergent viewpoints. Somewhere the truth is there, somewhere buried in between those two. What do you make of this, sir? Uh, was Russian bombing a war crime? As far as Maripol is concerned, absolutely. Uh, all the targets were civilian, um, you know, um, hospitals. Uh, civilian buildings, uh, prisoners, uh, civilian prisoners being taken. I'm also told that their children have been ab uh, have been abducted or taken as prisoners uh, into the camps. So as far as the first-hand information that, uh, you know, from some of the sources that we have uh, confirms the, as far as the Maripol is concerned, I believe that there's enough evidence uh, to prosecute uh, Vladimir Putin. But remember, Vladimir Putin is a member, or Russia is a member of the P5 nations. There has never ever been in the history a P5 nation being prosecuted for anything, leave alone the ouster, uh, because the Article 5 within the United Nations char Charter gives them immunity. What happened to China? As far as the International Court of Justice ruling is concerned against Philippines uh, in the uh, four Philippines in the Sprotly Islands, nothing. Okay, nothing is going to come out. I think this is all a drama that is going on. But as far as Maripol is concerned, absolutely, I am uh, fully, you know, supportive that what they have committed is close to war crimes, Sriji.
And in US news, Biden poll numbers dip on inflation and his handling of Ukraine war. Um, Sridharji, it seems to me that these are all going up and down. There are some things that the US has done in aiding the efforts of Ukraine in, in thwarting the Russian advance, isn't it? Well, I think that is uh, that is the that is the intent. But this, but as far as uh, you know, his handling of the situation is. I can only recall his former boss, uh, Mr. Obama, uh, in the Libya. If you remember, we will world the world. We will lead, lead the world from behind. So Biden is clearly leading the situation. He's behind the eight ball. Um, you know, I don't think what he has done uh, thus far is adequate by way of uh, United Nations as a, sorry, United States as a, as a power to reckon with, um, you know, either supporting Ukraine in terms of relief, aid and other things is knee jerk. If you recall, the first aid came sometime later with $200 million. And the Vice uh, President Kamala Harris went to Europe and made a statement that sanctions will work and it will be a deterrence. So there's a lot of angst within United States, the way he has handled and also the way he has handled the energy crisis. And, uh, and, and some of the statements that has come out from the Democrats have not gone well. We are not responsible for inflation. Putin is responsible for inflation. We are not responsible for energy hikes in the, in the petrol stations. Putin is responsible. That's not gone down very well, Shriji. No Iran nuclear agreement yet, and so the State Department refuses to divulge the details that are the cause of the delay. Again, this is a realignment of the world, and uh, I, I'm completely lost as far as the Iran nuclear agreement is concerned. Who is driving it? And nobody seems to be asking for it, and, and yet somewhere suddenly news about it pops up. Sridharji, what do you make of it? Uh, I may come in. Uh, let me be very direct. I think that this is uh, Mr. Obama, uh, whether he's uh, surrogates or because most of the administration has got the Obama, former Obama Biden administration team. Uh, out of nowhere, uh, this has come up and this is being, uh, uh, these uh, discussions have been going on. Also, I think that one has to recognize that this is very, I mean, it's like a well known secret. There's a good chunk of, uh, you know, the Iranian lobby. Uh, which was very active in the U.S. elections in making sure that uh, the Biden administration is uh, is supported in uh, their uh, uh, against President Trump because President Trump was very strong against Iran. So therefore, it is very clear. We may not know the names, but it's very clear many of those people are behind the resumption of this Iran discussions, uh, especially in the middle of continuing to uh, you know go after it, notwithstanding the fact. Russia and China may be reluctant partners in the current state of affairs. And viewers, a shout out to all of you to like this program, to continue our uh, program to go viral today. We're having some reporting issues. We are not sure what is going on. As far as we know, everybody is able to watch it, but our feedback is a little bit off. I'm going to continue because the numbers seem to be right sometimes. Mitch McConnell says, ditching Title 43 enacted under Trump and retained by Biden, Biden, return to Mexico would be a disaster for America. A federal judge in Ohio, a Trump appointee, rules Biden's lax deportation policy as illegal, namely whom to permit and whom to deport. 
Um, Sridharji, what is Title 43, sir? And then how does it apply to this whole scenario? Uh, Title 43 is that this uh, was enacted on in the last year when the COVID picked up. That is those um, who are detected with COVID at the immigration detention center will be sent back and be part of the stay in Mexico program. Uh, that was enacted during that point of time. And that was followed by Biden up until now. But suddenly there's a ruling uh, which uh, the um, Mr. Mayorkas has introduced, no checks, anybody and everybody can come in. Recall we had talked about this and for whatever reasons, um, this, uh, the, the, this ruling was overruled. And then it went to the court and the court has ruled that you cannot have this discriminatory policy. Where's the discriminatory policy? Recall the Haitian drama that took place. Many of the yes, Haitians yes. were sent back. So this is where it comes from. How can you say from Central America you will take, but from Haiti, uh, from Haiti you will not take? And how I thought it was take? Cuba, sir. Huh? Cuba or Haiti? Haiti, sir. Okay. That bridge. You remember in the South, uh, the Texas bridge, the whole bunch of people uh, yes, yes, being yes. sent back. Yeah, Haiti, Haiti. Oh, surprises never cease. Um, House Republicans continue to push for information on illegal immigrants who are on the terrorist database list. Sridharji, there is one more evolving problem. Now, we know that China has not had a proper vaccination program because their vaccines have not worked. Now, there is a Delta Omicron outbreak again in China. They have allegedly, I'm saying this in very, very carefully, allegedly locked down Shenzhen and Shanghai, two biggest cities. We don't know for sure if this is true or not. We don't have information that confirms it. We have it from one or two sources, but we are waiting for confirmation. Now, if US continues to fly fly flights to China, that's going to come right back, sir. Well, look, I think uh, China has remained an enigma. So, um, as you rightly point out, yes, there has been rise in cases. Shenzhen was shut down. Uh, reports from Asia is that Shenzhen is being reopened uh, in a very careful manner. So whether all these things have disappeared or have not, we don't know. We covered this about, I think, either the last session or session before that uh, even we touched on, uh, you know, Hong Kong being proximus to uh, Shenzhen. And with the rising cases in Hong Kong, it's not unusual uh, for either Shenzhen or Shanghai to uh, have a spillover with uh, no travel restrictions between Hong Kong and mainland China. So it could be the reason we don't know. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that uh, China will deal with it or we will see some of these things uh, flow into the other parts of uh, both Asia as well as United States. Georgia and Wisconsin are advancing probes into accusations of widespread illegal ballot harvesting in the 2020 presidential elections. Well, three, four days ago, we aired an interview with Dr. Shiva Ayadurai, where he had done a scientific study of the signature matching and the errors that surfaced. And this is not Democratic or Republican. These are just errors in the signature matching. Those were in far higher percentage than what was admitted to by the Maricopa County officials. So Sridharji, now this is beginning to gain momentum. It is. I think that there is now slowly gaining, uh, gathering evidence. Uh, I mean, you remember we touched, uh, uh, we touched on, um, if I remember correctly, we did touch on Wisconsin. We did touch on 
uh, Georgia being one of the uh, you know states. Uh, we also touched on one of the upper uh, nor, uh, nor, uh, central uh, Midwest states uh, that is also uh, you know uh, finding evidence of the uh, the ballot harvesting, especially from hospitals and so on. So I think that there is now more and more data coming out, <coughs> which would warrant investigation as they go into 2022 midterm elections. And Ketanji Brown-Jackson confirmation hearings continue with questions on immigration ruling, rights of former slaves and other contentious issues. So this is the first black American woman for a seat on the Supreme Court bench. I see everything to like about it. It shows the diversity of the country. Do you think there is preferential, you know, scrutiny more than usual or is it par for the course? I think that I advise people to, if, if we get a chance to watch <coughs> some of the hearings uh, yesterday, it was quite acrimonious between the, uh, the Republicans and the Democrats on the nomination. Uh, she has not tried to answer some of the questions. Look, there is no uh, right or wrong. Some of these judgments and some of the opinions are uh, drafted based on the circumstances and so on. Um, you know, this has happened in, uh, you know, Amy Reid in Barrett. It's happened in uh, Kavanaugh, uh, you know, the backgrounds, etc. So she's going through uh, the usual drill and, you know, where some of these controversial opinions uh, when she was the the judge uh, in the um, the state courts comes up for the hearing as to why you form the opinions. She doesn't need to give any specific answers because you know she she can give, choose to give answers uh, as she feels appropriate. Now, at the end of the day, what? How is the decision made? The decision will be made on whether you have the votes to get her across. Uh, and as you rightly point out, there is a lot of euphoria that she would be one of the first. People of, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas is also, if you recall, you know, belongs to the African-American origin, but he is a, a conservative and uh, she comes from the uh, the liberal side of the bench. So there's a lot of uh, euphemism and uh, let us see what happens, but one has to brush it aside as opinions, which you can naturally expect between two sides. Seven states have an explicit ban on teaching critical race theory. 15 states are working through the ban process. 26 states have no restriction out of the 52 states. Four states, no decision. The divide is almost down the middle as far as critical race theory is concerned. We'll keep you posted on this in time. Now let's take a quick look at Asian news. China searches for victims after the first plane crash in 12 years. No survivors were found with 132 passengers on board as search operations continue in the South China mountainous region of the Guangxi Zhuang. The flight was from Kunming to Guangzhou. Japan's stealthy frigate joins naval fleet as Japan continues its defensive deterrent operations. Sridharji, quickly on Japan also joining the patrolling of uh, Taiwan waters, sir. Well, uh, it's a very interesting survey that was done in Taiwan. Uh, this, this should not be surprising or should be surprising. Over 70% of the people believe that Taiwan, when it is attacked, United States will not come to its rescue. If at all there is a nation that is going to come to the rescue, 
in the event of an attack by China, they believe, this is Taiwanese population believe, it's going to be Japan. Uh, and so therefore, consistent with the theme, and Japan has maintained the position that if Taiwan is attacked on the anvil, next is Japan. Remember, we have again covered in our uh, global insights, both on the north in the Kui Islands, as well as in the Senkaku in south, uh, you know, Russia in the north and China in the south, Russia, Japan is under siege. So therefore, it is natural G, that uh, they are beginning to now uh, put a defensive uh, measures in place and Taiwan is very much within their eyesights. And uh, Mr. Kushida also spoke with South Korean uh, president, if you recall, we covered that. So I think very much those nations are coming together uh, to make sure that uh, they have a uh, unified mechanism. And emerging Asian markets are set to grow at a healthy 5.8% after COVID years. Ukraine war is the only headwind. Taiwan firm donates a new Taiwan dollar, 1 million worth of drones to Ukraine military in its fight against Russia. Sridharji, is it 1 million or 1 billion, sir? Uh, 1 million. These drones are not uh, these drones are not very expensive devices, sir. So okay. drones which are capable of, uh, you know, um, armed drones. Uh, they are not, uh, you know, armed vehicles, uh, unmanned vehicles. But these are drones. So they're giving, and the drones have been very effective uh, in combating uh, and helping Ukraine to stall. Uh, that uh, the tanks have been Russian tanks have been have taken a big hit. In, uh, in 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 the in that specific battle, of course, uh, if we don't get in the fog of war. You don't get specific information, but it's interesting to see where how the geopolitical order is taking shape. And Myanmar rejects allegations of genocide by the United States. No surprise there. In India news, BRICS nations make up 15% of global market capitalization, representing 16.46 trillion of the global 112.43 trillion value. India achieves the highest CAGR of 11.6%, South Africa 8.3% gains, China 5.4% and Brazil 4.1%. Russia is in ruins with the crash of the ruble. Sir, I want to explain to our viewers what CAGR means and why these numbers are significant. Perhaps you can touch upon that. It is a compounded annual growth rate, is CAGR or CAGR as we call it. The fact that the Indian economy, GDP, that in turn translates into the market capitalization. India's market cap is somewhere close to $5 trillion uh, you know, in uh, relative terms to um, uh, between 4 and $5 trillion, depending on the currency rate fluctuations. The fact that a resurgent Indian market reflects that there is a wide participation of private sector in the growth of the economy. It's very important. Capital formation is happening through external sources as well as internal sources. The capital formation is not through Indian government, which is historically the case. The fact that India has achieved the highest growth since 2008 is highly correlatory in terms of what India has achieved in its public markets. 
And Moody's, after Moody's Fitch rating cuts, India's GDP forecast for fiscal year 23 to be 8.5% from 10.3%. Inflation and rising fuel prices are the drivers. Fitch also has revised the fiscal year 22 growth rate from 8.1% to 8.7%. So fiscal year 22 is going to be better than expected and 23 is going to be lesser than expected. Is that how you should read it, sir? You should read it that way. Uh, fiscal year 22, I think, finishes on March 31st. I think India has seen some huge tailwinds on the back of um, uh, commodity prices exports, merchandise exports, where uh, today they just crossed uh, $400 billion target, which they had accomplished. So in manufacturing has also seen an uptick. Only services sector needs to you know, sustain or uh, get back to its momentum. So India has leveraged the market conditions fairly well um, and, you know, leveraged the commodity price hike extremely well, especially wheat. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, wheat has been one of the big, big exporting, uh, exported items. Uh, we one looks at the 12 months, uh, you know, relative growth from 600 bushels to about 1200 bushels is the, the rise in the wheat, which also begs the question, which is why did the market reforms stop when, on the contrary, the market reforms would have worked in favor of the farmer. And by the way, in United States, the wheat farmers, the soybean farmers, as well as the corn farmers are having bumper harvest and the high commodity, high agricultural prices is bringing profits home to their, uh, to their families. And the rising agriculture prices has the opportunistic politics of vested politicians doomed the reforms that would have benefited the farming community. And that's what Sridharji was mentioning. India's External Affairs Minister meets with U.S. Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland. And the discussions focused on Ukraine, Indo-Pacific bilateral ties expansion. The Indian government tells parliament significant number of terrorists still exist in launch pads in Pakistan and POK. Uh, about the Assistant Secretary of State's visit to India, I think she's visiting India, right, Sridharji? She's visiting uh, three countries. I think she is visiting India. She is visiting Bangladesh. Uh, she's probably also visiting Sri Lanka, given the economic crisis uh, Sri Lanka is facing. Um, and I think India's discussion seems to have gone well. She has met with the Foreign Secretary. She's also met with uh, uh, with uh, Mr. Jay Shankar. So I think they are basically. Uh, trade seems to be uh, one of the big focuses because India is the largest bilateral trading partner of the United States. Around $115 billion is the bilateral trade. India is a net uh, exporter relative to many other nations. So I think this is, this is the reason why she's, uh, there's a very significant strategic importance being given. Of course, they're probably discussing the uh, Ukraine situation as well and the role of uh, India in the Indo-Pacific. And in market news, the Dow and S&P finished 34,807.46 and 4,511, 4,511.61, 0.73% higher and 1.13% higher as markets absorbed the Fed policy. Oil and Brent finished unchanged at $110 and $115 per barrel. The U.S. 10-year bonds hit the highest since 2019 as the yield rises to 2.388%. Charts suggest a continued rise in wheat and corn prices with continued Russia and, uh, I guess, uh, uh, possible China war. Sridharji, 
quick look at the markets and how you think uh, it's going to do today, sir. Uh, the markets are down as we came into the program. Uh, the futures are down. Uh, these gyrations will continue. We discussed uh, this part of it. Uh, the rate uh, decision was absorbed. Uh, we talked about uh, Jerome Powell. Uh, so we saw the uptick in the markets. But what you are seeing is uh, the rising bond yields, which is a reflection that the inflation is real. UK reported highest inflation. Uh, I think they're around 6.26 points. So most of the Western nations are reporting very high inflation. So inflation will create some headwinds. That is the reason why there was a taper down of the Indian uh, GDP as well forecast. And I think that's going to filter into the system. Um, and that's what we see. But one should not judge these decisions on daily gyrations. In 2022, United, the markets will still be net positive overall, but it will be driven by how much net positive, whether it will go into, uh, I, I don't expect any recession, uh, recessionary trends in 2022. If there is, it is probably 2023 we may see, but 2022 they will run the, run the, run the weather south. With that, we bring to close today's episode. Do like, share and subscribe to our channel. And also please click on the bell button for notifications. We have had some technical difficulties today. Maybe something to do with how YouTube is being seen in India. Some people were able to see it. Some were not able to see it. But regardless, it is going to be on our server. So you should be able to watch it a little bit later. Thanks for watching. Do join in in two hours time to listen to Elmer Yuen on his take on how the war is going in Ukraine. Thank you very much, Sridharji. Namaskar. And I'll see you on Friday, sir. Thank you. Namaskar. We'll uh, see everybody on Friday.